Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to Two Black Guys with Good Credit, the show for the financially curious and the financially knowledgeable. Today, Sean, we have a special guest, one of your favorites, Karen. Talk, tell us, tell us about our guest, Sean Linda. I don't even know where to start, Matt. All I know, I've been a fan of this young lady for 20 plus years, and I'm so excited to have her on the show. All I can say is you've been a major pain since we've heard we were doing this show. (laughs) (laughs) That's very fresh of you, Matt, to say that. (laughs) But yes, I have been a major pain, and that's very fresh of you to say that, Matt. I caught it. (laughs) So, Karen, maybe she needs to sit down. Get it? All the little jokes. Get it? Sit calm. All right. Well, let's, yeah. let's, let's get to it. So introduce our guest, Sean. Um, we have the the lovely Karen Parsons on our show to kind of bring us through her fabulous career and give us some gems on how to, you know, kind of navigate. So I thought she'd be a great guest for today's show. And for those who don't know who Karen is, she starred in Major Pain and she was on the why'd you have to say can i not say it okay good my bad (laughs) like bearing the lead like like... (laughs) (laughs) so yes she's she co-starred on the fresh prince of of bel-air so yes welcome karen to our show thank you thank you good to be here all right well why, why don't we just jump right on in? How, oh, Matt, how just because we haven't, hold on. Just because we have a new Karen doesn't mean we can't introduce our current Karen. Like, we have another Karen. Oh, oh, she forgot about the other Karen. It's That's Karen squared. I, I twitched every time I heard my name. I, had to I know. And I'm looking not at, you, I'm staring at Karen you. at this other Karen. I mean, and Matt is just so starstruck. He forgot about our current Karen. I did Julia. not know that I was in major pain. I was like, no, <laughs> that is a good ass movie. <laughs> I was in Fresh Pants. I mean, I will take it. <laughs> anyway, hi guys. <laughs> Matt. All right. Well, now the gang's all here. Let's jump on in. Karen Parsons, welcome to Two Black Guys with Good Credit. Thank you. Thank you. So what, let's just jump right in with a basic question. Breaking into this industry of acting and Hollywood and your successful career that we've all you know, become, it's become just Americana. Talk about how you ended up on the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and, and what, what was your first break or was that your first break or talk about that whole. I had had some other things that I had considered breaks along the way. Um, maybe one or two, like a horror film that I did, you know, which felt like, yeah, cause I got my SAG, I got my uh, SAG card, you know, through that. So that felt like a huge thing. Like I always think of that as my big break, but um I, you know, I was, I wanted to act since I was really little. I got more serious about it as I, you know, got older. And then I was introduced to acting classes and workshops and started learning about craft. And then I just was very excited about it and still motivated and becoming more and more so the more I learned. And then um, I, somewhere along the line, an acting, uh, I mean, um, yeah, an agent, theatrical agent saw me in a class and expressed interest in representing me. And actually I didn't go with him right away to his agency right away. Cause I just, I kept being told, oh, this he's interested in, in, um, in talking to you about representation. And I kind of laughed it off. Like it wasn't, 
couldn't have been true. It was just like, oh, right, huh? And then I ignored it and didn't follow up because he didn't approach me directly. And then um, it was through the woman who did my headshots. And then she said he came by here again because she knew the uh, he knew the uh, acting workshop, uh, acting teacher. He knew the, this photographer. And she told me again, he saw your picture. And he said, why won't she call me? And I was like, he's really serious. And so sure enough, um, I ended up, you know, following through and I started booking work right away. And I actually was with him when I booked the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air with that same agent. So, but I just really, really, it was something that I really wanted to do. I was very excited about doing. I wasn't thinking, I did watch films and television with kid actors when I was, when I was little or younger, really wanting to do what they were doing. But, um, but I wasn't thinking of like the fame game and all that kind of stuff or making lots of money. I, I really just, I wanted to act. And as I said, the more I learned about it and started reading and studying and being in classes and improv, then I started to get, I was bit by the bug and I just wanted to do more and get better. So you, I mean, did we even mention who you were? You were iconic on Fresh Princess Hillary Banks. If anybody like has missed that up until this point, Hillary <laughs> Banks is on our show right now. And you have a special place in my heart because growing up, my parents would never, ever let us watch TV except, except like an hour. And it was my Fresh Prince hour. And I was like, I thought because you lived in Bel Air. I thought because you lived in Bel Air and you could oh, yeah. well, you were You were Hillary. Fun. You were the white the Hillary. White. Bank, right? I thought that's what it was. <laughs> my skinny little ass was in a back brace. Stayed home, no friends, big nerd, head in a book. Yes, but I used to watch Fresh Friends. So, so the question is this. You were the iconic Hillary that we were all obsessed with and wanted to be when we grew up. But did you find that that brand kind of stuck with you as you moved on and wanted other roles? Did it, like, obviously having a big role like that helps with exposure, but does it hurt you in keeping you kind of in Hillary? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Both things are true. I mean, it definitely opened doors because people were like, oh, you know, but then it, it, there are a lot of doors that stayed closed. People were like, no, we know what she does. No, 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 no. We, we do. We know what she does. <laughs> <laughs> and I could not, I couldn't get past that. That hurt on a couple, one particular occasion, but on a couple, I remember being like, you really can't, I really can't get my audition. Like they really won't see me, you know. And, um, and that burned because here you are, you all of a sudden you have credibility. Right. One, they're acknowledging that you're good because I'm not like Hillary. So on some strange level, they're acknowledging that like, oh, she's talented and she's right. got credibility because we know what the role is. No, we can't see her because we know what she is. You, play, you knocked out the role so well, it kind of was your Achilles heel. I mean, in a strange way, it's like that's people really did think that that was who I was. And that was great. And it was fun. And I love that part of his acting. Right. That's what you want. But yeah, it did follow me. But I have to say, ultimately, it ultimately, it definitely opened more doors than it clo kept closed. You know what I mean? Or closed because of it. And so and ultimately, as I went on to do other things, People were more eager to take my phone call, to welcome me into their home, to, you know, uh, everything. Because they were they were like, oh, I, that, I know who that is. And so yeah. there was a kind of familial feeling that gave me people give me a, a shot. So you know? did, you, did you feel like it opened more doors outside of an immediate acting space? You know, like you got into directing and writing or whatever. So was that brand recognition helpful there? I think it was. I think so. I mean, I did. With my organization, Sweet Blackberry, um, with these um, little known, I will just say my little tag, my little, little known stories of African-American achievement. You know, they're, they're, they're short animated films, but they're like picture books come to life and they have a single narrator. And so I wanted to get I had people in mind and that I thought would be great to narrate it. When I wrote the first one, I was thinking, oh, I could hear Alfred Woodard's voice in my head. And I had worked with Alfrey before. And once her voice was in my head while I was writing it, I was like, I could not get it out. Like She was perfect. And so I knew I had to reach out to her. I hadn't spoken to her in years. But I had worked with her. I knew she was. And she was actually one of the few women who, aside from like my mother, that I have really looked up to, that I, was, that I knew in any way. I mean, I wanted to be like Alfrey. She was just... 
such an amazing lady and um, such a, and I know her, her, her politics are and everything. So I thought there's probably a good chance that she could say yes to this. And she did. But also because of, you know, it's like I had, I knew um, Queen Latifah actually had been on the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air a couple of I remember. Right. And so she, um, you know, actually Will was the one who said that she should do one. And I'm like, that's a great idea. Can you ask her? <laughs> 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 so, but I, you know, I, I knew her and then come to the street in New York and they'd like, you know, stopped in the street and talked for a long time before. So like, we had, we knew each other. We had a relationship. We worked together on the show. And, so, uh, so based on, so how, how difficult, like, I mean, that's leads to the question I wanted to ask you, like the transition yeah. from like acting to directive and creating and stuff like animated films centering around black heroes you know, the whole concept of Sweet Blackberries, I think it was, it, Sweet Blackberry story is excellent. So how did that transition happen and how difficult was it, like, leveraging your context and skills and stuff like that? Well, that's, I mean, that's what I ended up, I I didn't think it through, you know, which was one of those things where if I had thought it through, it could have been incredibly daunting. I mean, I even have jumped in the pool. Because um, it's a lot of, it's a lot of work. At the same time, I really had gone into it with a really clear like, business plan. And I did it. I was very enthusiastic about getting the stories out to kids. I was excited about doing that. The more stories I learned, the more uh, motivated I was to get it moving. But then I didn't know how. And I ended up doing this thing where I would just tell people, you know, what I wanted to do. And I'm, I'm trying to think of how to do it. And the great thing is when you're enthusiastic like that is people, people start going, oh, it's a great idea. I think I know somebody that... You know, I have a cousin who, and this kind of thing happens. And so it really was such a piecemeal, people opening up their Rolodex, me opening up my Rolodex, just piecing all this together of like, I know somebody who's an illustrator, or I know somebody who's an animator. And right. you know, just put it all, it started putting it all together. And I was really just one step in front of the other going along with this thing. Figuring so you're... Enthusiasm was enough, like you were connected enough that people were comfortable trusting your enthusiasm for your own project. Like your word carried weight when you're like, I'm so psyched about this. People are like, I'm on board. Absolutely. And I, I see, I really knew what it, I mean, in my head, I was very clear with what it was. And I was, I thought it was a great idea and I was really excited about it. And people jump on board when you get like that. They really but yeah, the entrepreneurial spirit in you had the hustler mentality. You're yeah. going to leverage your context and make it work at the end of the day. Yeah. And that's success. That's that algorithm to success. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, I mean, seriously, when you look at it and I look back at it, I'm like, well, of course, that's what you do. You want people want to get behind somebody who's passionate. Right. You know, no they don't want to bring the passion, right? Like people are comfortable supporting, they're comfortable giving money, they're comfortable connecting with people, but they're not comfortable carrying the weight of the energy of the project. Right. And a, lot of, well, and a lot of people don't come with it, too. I mean, a lot of people can get excited about stuff, but I think a lot of people doubt their themselves or little ideas they have. Um, I, I just say, if you get excited about something, if you feel like something that go with it, expand on it, see what that could be and follow it. And, you know, I don't think that feeling like, well, other people come up with the ideas is any, I mean, if I had thought about what I was actually coming up with, um, and you know, an organization that I would be doing, you know, 10 years later, I would never, if I had given mm -hmm. it thought, I wouldn't have done the damn thing. Right. I, I have a question about just in terms of how the industry has shifted and changed over the years. Like when you were doing, you know, that monster hit sitcom in the, you know, the nineties where like, and that was the television was just everything. Right. And now we're, we're in this like streaming, this, this short yeah. attention span, this YouTube era, how, how has that transition been, or, or is it easier? Is it more difficult, or just different? Like, what, what's the, what's it like making content now? Well, I wasn't behind the scenes, but I'll tell you, my first um, first BlackBerry film that I made is 22 minutes because I made it back when I was thinking about a half hour broadcast, half hour, which is 22 minutes, and the rest is commercial time, right? So it's the longest one, but then quickly. Uh, I scaled them down, made them shorter because kids don't, you know, I mean, I've sat, I've happily, I have sat down with uh, kids, knock on wood, and they have sat through it and been fine, but I know that their attention span is getting shorter and shorter. I live with kids, you know, and, <laughs> and it's hard to get to have them sit still for 22 minutes. Absolutely. So I had to roll with it. So I'll take that as a segue. We're going to take a short break. 
for all you short attention span folks out there. And we're going to be right back with more Karen Parsons. So stay tuned for more Two Black Guys with Good Credit. Welcome back to Two Black Guys with Good Credit, the show for the financially curious and the financially knowledgeable. Today, we have a VIVIP. That's right. We have Karen Parsons of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air fame joining us. And we're talking about her career, her success, her journey. And, and in this section, we want to talk about finances. Sean, you got any, any finance questions for Karen? Well, before we start, I just want to bring something out, Karen. I hope this doesn't sound too spooky, but I had a cutout picture of you and Kim Fields up on my high school wall. Just had to let it know. Had to let yeah. it know my locker. I opened creepy. my locker up. It was Karen Parson and Kim Fields right there. Just had to let you know. Is that creepy or is it just, just being real? You had to let her know. I had to let you know. It was you and Kim, man. I, I didn't know which one I decided. I was torn. But so you, just so you know... <laughs> Just had to let you know. Awkward. (laughs) Uh, Since we're talking two black guys with good credit, my question to you is like, through this, how good were you with money? Like when you started, did you get excited when you got the role and just started spending like crazy? Are we still like, you know, budgeting? And and how is that working out for you? I um, I was terrible. I was awful. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, it was funny. I, I so much happened so fast. I was working as a hostess when I got. I mean, first, first off, I was working as a hostess when I got the job. But then when, after we shot the pilot, I went back to my job. <laughs> and I didn't know what was going to happen. And I would be at work. I'd be sitting there doing the book before we opened on Sunday. And Will or work people would come to the window and bang on the window and laugh at me, point and laugh. Like, what are you doing here? Like, <laughs> that I was there. And I'm like, I just don't know what's going to happen. And then we got picked up. Um, and everything changed. I quit, and everything changed. But you know, once I started working, and I was working that five five days a week, you know, rigorous schedule. You know, I quickly started coming home to like eviction notices, and you know, we're gonna cut your water off and all this stuff because I was so busy. I wasn't thinking like that. I had fallen behind on wow, wow. and so I was trying to do everything, and eventually, I got an assistant. I was just afraid I was going to forget something and come go home and not be able to get in the house. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so it was interesting learning all of a sudden having going from, you know, end of the night and you're like divvying up your, your bills and stuff with all of your coworkers and, you know, with all your tips and stuff and going, Oh, I got a lot tonight. Let's go out and drink. Huh. stuff like that you know rent was cheap um when we were you know when i was living in a teeny little place and and um and we were you know we i just didn't to all of a sudden have this big paycheck come and a lot of responsibilities uh i wasn't prepared for it i hadn't been schooled on it i didn't have parents that prepared me for it. my parents weren't good with their finances Mm -hmm. What do you wish you had known then that would have helped you out? I a lot. I wish for one that we didn't grow up with. I think it still exists for a lot of people, but it's this this um, polite thing about money that you don't talk about money. Right. <laughs> like it's not polite to talk about money, and the problem is it's shrouded in all this mystery. And the truth is, we're all going to have to deal with it. Absolutely. And- I found myself having to figure it out on the fly and being very, still being a very immature young person doing it. You know, this is even, I moved out of the house pretty early. So I was out of the house feeling like, oh, okay. Cause I was managing with, you know, I had a car and I had a little dinky apartment with my roommate and, you know, I was managing though. I was still had my enough money for acting workshops, you know? And um, so and then I, like I said, I go and get this big job and I wish somebody had, had really uh, sat me down and was really serious about budgeting and goals. I think those are things that, and goals, like what, are, what do you want to see? What do you want to achieve? What do you want to have by this time? And budgeting. Because And really- so parents should have that conversation with their kids you feel is right, right? Because we all feel that yeah, way. Parents- it's very simple, too. You know what I mean? It's a really simple, I'll say this as I'm like, bad parent. <laughs> <laughs> but it's pretty straightforward, right? It's like, where do you, what do you, um, what do you, where do you see yourself in this this period of time? And give, give yourself a, 
And what do you see? Are there th any things? I'm not talking when they're older, not when they're too young. When they're young, it's good to get the habits, though, of recognizing, and we're trying to do that, um, and, and budgeting and recognizing how you can control your finances, how did, you can control things that happen. Did you think at all, like, I mean, I, I'm, I work in television, nothing to the scope of, of a show like that, what you were doing. But like, I remember I was doing Rap City for BET. I was producing that show and it was so much fun. And I remember I never, I didn't really think about when the show would end. I didn't think that this was gonna, like, I was just, just loving it. I was, it was just so much fun. But uh, so that also impacted the ability to think and budget and really, like, did you act at all get caught up in just having such a great a dream job that you don't, yeah, I imagine. Without a doubt, without a doubt. And I do think it's a part of the brain that hasn't developed, and I'm not messing with young people, it's the truth. I think <laughs> it hasn't, there are a lot of things that don't develop until you're like 25, they're not completely, you know. And I do think that that's something that's hard for a lot of young people is to see beyond, you know, to see beyond the right now, the immediate. And it was very difficult. I had people say all, all kinds of things to me that I didn't hear until years later. And then I heard it and it was a little late, but I was caught up in it. I didn't see the end of it coming or that I needed to prepare that whole thing of having to prepare for your future. You know, I mean, I'll even in my, you know, way after the show, I remember, I wanted to go to the new school because uh, I didn't go to college. I went to a city, a little bit of city college, but I didn't do much college. I wanted to go to the new school for, for writing. And I sat down and went to a seminar about, about financially planning it. And I remember being so overwhelmed that I just went, you know how it's going to be like years before I get out of here and do this. That sounds like Hillary. That sounds like the Hillary tone right there. It was. Right in, and I was like, you know, I still ended up in those those years later. I just right. didn't have a degree or anything right. <laughs> in my hand. So it's, I think it's very difficult sometimes to get your head around preparing for something ahead. And I wish I had had that as a kid. Mm -hmm. And did you then, felt like you had control like during your career, like you could leverage, negotiate? Do you felt like the control was within you, or do you felt like it was more external? No, I didn't. And they, they make a point. I think in Hollywood, they do a really good job of making sure you don't feel that, that you have control. And now retrospect, do you? Oh, you definitely. Yeah. Yeah. But they, you know, you're surrounded with agents, managers, publicists, and people who all, and lawyers who all know better than you do, especially if you're a, a cute little actor. Like, <laughs> everybody knows better than you and you're young. And, and it is a lot. There are all these papers and contracts and stuff. Mm -hmm. And, you want to just go, well, what are they doing? I mean, I did a lot right. of, I did a lot of like, what's Alfonso doing? Alfonso, what are you doing? Whatever yeah. doing, I'm doing. Right. Because Alfonso was very shrewd. He still is. He's always been incredibly shrewd. He started as a kid and it's just also who, where his head is. He's that kind of guy. Yeah. Carlton in that way. He's always <laughs> recreating himself. He's always recreating himself. I got to give him credit for that. He's always recreating himself. Yeah. Well, Money feels like such a damned if you do, damned if you don't thing, right? Like if you don't have it, obvious stress. If you do have it, like obvious stress. what do you do? So what do you do? Like if you don't have a family culture of money, then you don't have the that kind of instinct to know that you have to like watch it in these ways. And, you know, honestly, I, I'm not in imminent danger of being super rich right this second, but if I were to have, like, so I mean, relax everybody, but if I were to have have like millions of dollars that would scare me because how do you even keep track of it all how do you know that when you sign the paper someone's not doing something that's supposed to how do you keep track of every dollar when there's so many dollars right 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 exactly i mean that's the kind of thing i think i think though it's i think we get we do get overwhelmed and it's it, you know you don't have to like act on it i think that's the thing we with everything we do that we get too excited about stuff like oh my god i have so much money or oh my god this it's like no just set it aside Go back to what you're doing and educate yourself or bring okay. somebody in that you trust or somebody you know recommends that they trust to advise you and don't panic about having to, to rush and do something like spend it all. Right? So what about when you switched careers, you know, or, or so what happened? You took a backseat from acting. Is it because you had kids or you just kind of over it or you wanted to do other stuff? You yeah. made to kind of make this pivot. And the question is, how did you decide that? And what would, did you worry about money at that time? 
Um, I wasn't at that time worrying about it yet. I was, you know, I had been, like I said, I was working. I was really at the point where we were both, my husband and I were at the point where we were ready to have uh, kids. And so we were very excited that we were going to have our daughter. And then we got, we got married. Like, you know, I got pregnant, we got married. <laughs> so we were like, we're caught up, you know, in all of this and, and happiness. And we're not, we weren't at a point there where we were really struggling financially or thinking about things that way. So we weren't, I wasn't panicked about it then. It was not a big thing at that time. There were too many other mm-hmm. things really important. And I had, like I said, I had been acting. We just stopped right then. So let me go back a little to your acting. So you mentioned SAG, and for those who don't know, that's a union for actors and actresses, right? Yes. So as and for people that want to get into the field of acting, becoming an actor, do you feel it's like a more of an entrepreneurial career or do you feel like you have like a support of a union? Is it, I was trying to think about myself, what the answer is to that. Is it like a, being an entrepreneur or is it not? Being an actor? Yeah. I think it is. I think, it, I think it's a smart, I think it's smart to look at it that way. I mean, I was very like, you know, uh, oh, I just love acting, and a very kind of like, uh, and it's good. That's good. That pushed me. That's what I wanted. That was what I found. I found my joy in doing that. However, if it is the thing that I am going to be doing as a career, making a living at it, you do need to think a little bit more, um, be a little more decisive about things, um, plan. I mean, I didn't do any of this. But, but I would recommend it. I would recommend you look at it. If you realize, oh, I'm making money at this, or this is the thing I want to make money at and how I want to support myself in my life, then you probably have to be a little bit more deliberate in, in your actions and the things you do, just like you would as an entrepreneur of anything else. You have to have, you know, set goals, figure out how, if you want a certain kind of career, how am I going to get there? What am I going to do? What kind of, if, if I want to work with, you know, I want to work with certain kind of people, certain directors, you have to pick and choose. Maybe I say no to more things, to some things. I'd be more selective because that's going to make people look at me differently. And that's mm-hmm. hard. That's a hard decision to make because you just want to work. You know, so if it, there's a lot of that kind of thinking, things through. I and can, as a woman of color, you think you had those options, you think, in I mean, acting? No, not with Halle Berry on the scene. <laughs> <laughs> Halle Berry ain't got nothing on you, pretty girl. You were in my locker, I told you. I told you you were in my locker. I didn't put Halle in there yet. Halle wasn't on the, in the locker with Kim and no, I. No, <laughs> you and Kim. You and Kim. That was it. Wow. No, so, it's, you know, it was. It's true. At the time, there were, you know, there weren't a lot of a lot of parts for for Black actresses. So it was much harder in that way, to be selective in that way. But I know people that that are and that were and they and not so much out of an entrepreneurial you know sensibility or or decision more because they were like i don't like that i'm not going to do that i don't you know this doesn't interest me this doesn't excite me i'm not going to do making themselves figure out a way to do every part that came their way they were selective and, and they preserved themselves in that way and that's um, and that's another way to do things. And I think that it is a, another way to have more control over the type of career you want to build if you want to put it that way. I'm interested to know in terms of like with acting, these well, unless you have a, a long running show, a lot of times these are short or or you know there's a start and an end date if you're doing a movie or if you're yeah. doing a commercial. It's not like someone who, oh, I work for Apple and I have a job for, you know, if I stay there maybe for 30 years or whatever, not that people do that anymore. But it's kind of the gig economy. We talk about that a lot. Um, talk about dealing with the uncertainty of the length of, you know, like, yeah. how, how do you juggle that? I think that's hard for a lot of people. And that's why a lot of people end up not sticking around with it so much because you really, you, it really is incredibly uncertain um even with fresh prince when the show went off the air we were lucky enough to have will pull us aside at the end uh in like december like midway through the fifth season and say all right everybody we're gonna come back we're gonna finish this fifth year season we're gonna come back for a sixth and then we're done and he brought the crew and the cast together so everyone had a chance to kind of get prepared. Because a lot of people, I mean, I've known, I know people who've been driving on their way to work and find out on the radio that their show is. Wow. Wow. That's no way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, that, so that was a really classy, nice thing that Mr. Man did. 
And um, but it's it's hard. It's it's I think that's a difficult thing. There are actors I know who also are really smart in in keeping their little nest eggs safe. Um, with that in mind, that they don't know when their next job will be. And there are people like James Avery who used to be like, for him, he had residuals coming from so much work he had done and from voiceover work he did. And I forgot what it was. I think it was either the voice, I think he like put the money from the show, I think just went in the bank and then he just lived off the, he just like, that's beautiful. And by the way, I saw the Instagram post you guys did for James. That was so touching. I felt like it was part of it, what you guys put together for him. That was so nice a few months ago. I saw it. Oh, we did, you know, the cast got together last month for the Fresh Prince 30 year reunion. Was it only last? Yeah. You did a tribute to him. Well, we did the, we did a Snapchat thing. Yeah. Thing, And then we, for Will, on Will's Snapchat and then during the pandemic and then we just did this thing last month. And um, which comes out around Thanksgiving on HBO Max. And man, not having James there is hard. He was America's dad. Underrated. People didn't talk about it. He was America's dad. You know, he was that yeah. stern dad. And, you know, he was good. He was America's dad. I didn't know people good. felt that way until he passed. And when he passed, it all came flooding. Everyone just, you know, yeah. really, anyway. Yeah. Well, one other, not to make a harsh turn, but one other question back to the, that the uncertainty, like now that you've shifted into this um, running a production company and, and directing or, or content producing and behind the scenes, what are, how are you finding that side of the, the industry and, and how are you, how difficult is it to find like funding for projects and partners and, and, and the, the business side of, of production behind the scenes as an executive, talk about what that's been for you or an independent producer. I don't know how you would define yourself, but. Yeah, I don't know how I define myself. You're probably an independent producer, I guess. I don't. Um, it, it's not. It's not my forte, and I don't like it. For <laughs> that, very clearly. Um, I would prefer to have somebody else in charge of that stuff and dealing with that stuff and organizing that end of it. Um, we for for Sweet Blackberry for funding, I've had to go to Kickstarter and do Kickstarter crowdfunding, which is wonderful for a lot of reasons outside of the financial. If you bring you meet so many people who are truly supportive of what you're doing. That's and community. Yeah. Great community. They keep you propped up. You know, people are inboxing me constantly, like, Karen, keep it up. You're doing a great job. You know, people are just like, and you know, you're crying. <laughs> I'm so scared you're not going to hit your goal in time and you're going to lose everything. And people are propping you up and, you know, and, and lending their support any way that they can, like on social media and stuff. And so you get so much from it and that's really beautiful but it's um it's hard it's really hard to ask for money that's another thing that i wish i didn't have this thing growing up about money the stigma about money absolutely it's a skill it's a skill like people know i've watched people ask for money i'm like whoa they just asked for money it doesn't feel like they ask for money it's a skill it's a skill (laughs) into asking for money it's a a, a serious skill set better but for a while you could see me coming a mile away oh shit you're so i i for i have for me but it's it's yeah. business one-on-one though asking for money asking for investors is part of doing business like you said we're not schooled by it and growing up and seeing our parents do it and, yeah. and build businesses we would never know but it's part of doing business you it, could be a multi-billionaire you still ask for money right and it's and, and the thing is you're not some snake oil salesman you know what i mean it's like get you feel that way you feel that you way almost. you feel <laughs> guilty and bad and shameful there's all this shame around it and i've had it you know i finally i get it it's like Sweet Blackberry is a good organization. I like what this is about. This is important. And I know how that money is going to help us continue to to continue to not just grow, but even just exist. Like we need it. And, but it's been very, very difficult for me to even get to that place where I can separate myself. So it's not, you're not asking people to like give you money to go buy, you know, bag. And I'm sure people assume you already know rich billionaire people. Go ask now. That's, that's, that's there's a lot of that too yeah. or me they think i'm a millionaire people are like oh she's got a million dollars i don't know why she's asking people for money and so that's so that's that's stuff you are up against that but i think for anybody anybody has that challenge that's what i was gonna say and also it's it can be a lot of self-inflicted shame kind of how you framed it because i would think a lot of people would see you if you approached 
I'm just thinking from our, from our outside vantage point, there's just the utmost respect of, oh, wow, if she's coming, I want to hear what what are, what are we doing? Yeah. Like as opposed to in your mind or whoever, any person when we're when we're asking, we get in our head and we're thinking, yeah. how does it? But the other folks, if you pitch it right, they're like Karen Parsons or, you know, Sean Linda, Karen Margolis, you know, like, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to cut that check. But right. in our own heads, I think sometimes we can box ourselves in. We can. And I had to hear other people say it. I had to hear other people push for Sweet Blackberry for me to go, yeah, you're right. Right. <laughs> well, you're so used to yourself. Like you spend all day long with you, right? Like you're used to you. You know, you're, you're used to how great you are and it feels then not great, right? It's like when you've been in the shower long enough, you have to turn up the heat. You know, other people see it more than you sometimes. Like you're not always privy to what's right. good about you, right? Or why people would want to give you money. Right, right. No, that's that's a very good point. I think it's it's good for all of us to get really, even for one, to not have the stigma or the shame around mm -hmm. when you're doing something that you think is important or worthwhile. I think that's the first step. But then right. just believe it, like you say, yeah. and hopefully other people will come along. Well, it's the difference between asking someone to partner with you, right, and asking for a favor. And I feel like people who are really good at asking for money know how to ask in a way that you don't feel like it's a favor, right? Favor is a thing that you do for someone to be nice. And no one gives money to be nice, right? That's what you do for the homeless. People want to feel like they're collaborating. Investing. You're getting something, investing, right? Like getting something that you guys are doing it together. That's a really good point. Um, so my question is this, though. You know, I'm in a creative field, too. And it's interesting talking to you because I'm a comedian and I'm a writer. And now there's COVID. So stand-up's not happening, really. You know, everyone's comedy income is dried up to nothing. People are, people are thinking about what's next, right? And these are creative people. And, you know, how do you mentally and also kind of like financially and in your job hedge your bets when you're like I'm gonna go from one creative career to another maybe because I need the time or the stability or whatever but there's this inherent instability in doing something like that right so how do you make it so it works out well I mean I'm in a fortunate position right now so I mean it's, it's a little it's all precarious it's so there's so much unknown but I am writing these days you know, I'm working on my second novel right now. High Moon. How High the Moon is my first one. Yeah. Right there. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have How High the Moon. Now I'm working on another one, and I have a bunch of other ideas. You know, so I'm dying to get this one like out so I could get on to the next one and the next one. So, um, and that stuff, you know, is pandemic friendly. <laughs> <laughs> but there have been um man we've learned not to do the zoom call thing big time you know so that i've been doing lots of panels and presentations and all sorts of working for fresh air fund with sweet blackberry i've been finding we've been finding lots of ways that you're still able to do some of that kind of work via zoom but it's just the choice and then making that choice work, you mean. So it's like you have this relentless hustle, you've made this decision, and now you're going to make the decision work out for you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I have a question regarding, like, it seems like this era, there's been like a an embrace of women of color. And, and, and I know it kind of, maybe it's fleeting, so maybe it's just the flavor of the month, but it feels like there's this movement right now with a lot of opportunities or at least, you know, people being aware, do you sense anything differently in this era for, for women of color in entertainment or just in business period? Picking up for women of color being yeah. more of a... Opportunities or just yeah. being... Is it now? It's, it, it's, it's just... Yeah, definitely. I mean, yes, it is happening right now. I don't know how long this window will, it will stay open. The hope is that um, when people are trying to make a change and trying to be more aware that they, this, as uh, as more people get in, they will, they'll continue to stretch things too. They won't just um, just be actors, for instance. They'll be behind the camera. They'll be trying to be studio heads. They'll be become in positions that can make this something um, not just a trend because people it makes people feel good. Like oh, you know, the whole Oscar so white period of time, mm -hmm. and then immediately it was like. You know, let's get as many black people as we can on the stage. And all. <laughs> <laughs> there, you know, at some point, there were some people on stage, and I was like, "Was she in a movie?" Had <laughs> 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 anything to do with the entertainment industry? <laughs> you know, I realized there were some things where it was—it was like there were 
lot of, and it was great, but you couldn't help but feel like, all right, this is fleeting. Right. We're just doing this to make themselves feel good. This isn't gonna last. And maybe it has, um, maybe, maybe some of it has, I hope, but like I say, I think in order for it to have some real staying power, couple things need to happen. One, which is already happening, is we are we are seeing that black, for instance, black box office, that black people can make money. We used to always hear, oh, you can't have black people be a, the whole cast of a film because that don't, won't make any money. Black people. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Introducing Wondersuite from bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Don't make money. Then you heard black movies don't make money overseas. There was always something. And these things have been disproved, disproven, you know, over and over again. Um, so hopefully money, usually the money is, you know, you follow the money. If they're making money, they're going to do it. So that's one, but also people need to be in the proactive positions. We need people in the studio behind, you know, owning the studios, uh, making the movies. Terry, Terry, piloting them. Tyler Perry. Tyler Perry. Maybe Terry Tyler. Terry piloting them. You couldn't to jump in with that one too. All right. Well, we're going to take one more quick break. Um, and maybe Terry Piler will get a, a, an ad, a, a put some commercials on our show, but we got one more commercial break and then we'll, we'll be right back with, Karen Parsons and more two black guys with good credit. So keep it locked. Welcome back to two black guys with good credit, the show for the financially curious and the financially knowledgeable. We are joined today by Karen Parsons and we are learning about her journey, her acting, her directing, her sweet blackberry company. And it's been an amazing uh, conversation. Um, first of all, before when we exit, Karen, I, I definitely want you to send me send me uh, your PayPal information. I want to buy one of your books and sign up, please. Definitely. And so I need to know more about this High Moon book. Tell me about it. Tell the audience about it. Okay, it's called How High the Moon, and um, it's a it's my first novel. It's a non I mean not I mean it's fiction. It's a historical fiction novel. It's it, while it is a novel, it is geared toward younger people. Um, but it's um, you know my mom grew up in South Carolina in the '40s, and she always talked about how happy her childhood was and all these things. And it was not until years later that I thought, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, you grew up in the 1940s, <laughs> just outside of Charleston. Um, wait, you gotta tell me a little more. This is the Jim Crow South, you know. <laughs> So I started digging and finding out um, a little bit more about what life was like for her. And I decided I wanted to learn more about it. So I wanted to kind of step into her shoes and see what a 11 year old Karen and combined with my mother, what might've been like in it where in her uh, setting where she grew up in that time and everything. And so, um, and so that's what that's how that's what started uh, how high the moon was giving me the opportunity to do that. It follows a little girl named Ella who uh, is light skinned, but she's growing up with her black cousins and her black grandparents. And her black mother lives in the in Boston up north, but she's not sure if maybe her dad is white. Nobody's giving her any straight answers, and she gets teased about her parents. And uh, she gets the chance to go visit her mother up in Boston. Her mom's trying to be a jazz singer, 
and well, she learned some things about her mom that she didn't expect, gets some clues about who her dad might be, comes back to South Carolina and starts on investigating, but finds out that her good friend George Sidney Jr. has been arrested uh, for the murder of two little white girls. And this part of the book is based, or this character in the book is based on a real person. George Sidney Jr. was a real person who at 14 years old was the youngest person ever executed to this day still in the United States. Um, he was, you know, years later, the trial was, um, uh, was, it was retried. They found out it was a sham and he was exonerated and everything. But this is way after the fact. This little 14 year old boy was put to death for something he didn't do. And wow. so he happened to grow up in a little town outside of it, uh, Charleston around the same time that my mom did. And so it just made sense that he would make his way into this book. When I was doing research for Sweet Blackberry, I would often, with little known stories, George Sidney's picture would come up all the time. And it broke my heart. Like, nobody knew who he was. I'd tell people about him and nobody knew who he was. And he wasn't a, a Sweet Blackberry story. There's nothing inspiring or empowering about that story. It was just tragic. And um, so this gave me an opportunity to kind of give him some, some life and let people know who he was. How is the, the book, like the, the writing... Um part of this, those muscles, becoming a, a writer. How, how difficult has that transit? Did you always write or was this something that you had to train yourself or learn how to do or, or talk about that? You know, I started um, after The Fresh Prince ended, shortly afterward, a friend of mine made me go to an, uh, you know, a writing course at, at a city college. She was pushing me to go to study with this particular um, instructor and so I was like, okay, I'll go, I'll go. And I fell in love with the class. He was great. I was really excited by it. And so when the show, when Fresh Prince had ended, I pretty much was in my house just writing all the time. And which my friends, I found out later, a few of my friends were like, you always wrote. And I don't, I know I wrote ideas and little, and I would write like poem stuff, but, um, but I didn't think of myself as a writer. I was just an actor. So, um, until then, until I was doing that. So we have an, another writer on, on our show on our show today, and she's her name is Karen as well. What advice would you have for Karen as a writer trying to come out, or anybody in general? I think you know most writers sometimes have that kind of syndrome. Am I really a writer? You know, how do I come out of my shell and let everybody I know that? I had I had a friend of mine who met me when I was writing all of the time and knew me more that way than from the Fresh Prince. Um, I, we, we were, we became friends, then we lost track of each other. And then I bumped into him someplace and he was a successful literary agent <laughs> and, and he had been following what I had been doing with Sweet Blackberry because I write the stories for Sweet Blackberry and everything. And he knew me before from writing all the time. And so he met with me and said, you know, I think you need to pitch me a book. And that that little vote of confidence, I think, went a long way for me. Having somebody look at me and and be thinking of me as a writer, um, because I, you know, I had all those years between the time that the show ended and that in this book that I wrote of feeling guilty that I wasn't writing. I wasn't like writing all the time, like yep. gnawing at me. I was feeling embarrassed to tell people that I was a writer. Mm -hmm. I feel that. Yeah. And I, and so it was like, if I'm not doing it, I shouldn't say anything. And then I was afraid people would, wouldn't, they would judge me if I told them that I was, you know, all of this kind of stuff. Right. And the most important thing, I mean, what I've learned from it is, is you just, you know, like, oh, you, you know, anyway, is that you just have to do it. Yeah. And, and also that it is going to suck a lot. <laughs> it just is. It just it is. Yeah. Someone said, mm -hmm. someone said that, you know, people who really write don't say, I love to write because the process of writing is actually so agonizing. <laughs> the process of confronting nothing and turning it into something. It's, it's the quotes like it's right. Writing sucks. <laughs> it's fun to have written. Yes. And you have moments and it's like, there's that chasing the dragon feeling because there are right. moments where it goes really well. And they're few and far between. <laughs> it's like, whoa, you know, you got really high. And that was really great. 
and then it didn't happen. Right. Well, it's this work. And I think that's like the myth of creative work is that it's not really work in the classic sense of like, now I have to sit down and do something that I don't always feel like doing. Right. But the creative stuff is like, yes, you have this creative burst or whatever. And like you said, sometimes it comes, sometimes it doesn't, but you have to do the work regardless. It is a job, right? It is. But I think what's important too is to make sure that you're always massaging the fun part of it, that you're always in room for, which is hard sometimes to remember. And I'm reminding myself as I say this right now, but you have to make sure you have that free writing time or you you take, you put the thing you're working on aside and you do something other kind of play. You make sure that the joy is kept alive. It's like the same with acting when you're just grueling all the time. It's like, you need to have time to just improvise and play and be silly and get back to the child or the, 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 the child in you that loves it. Right. To, you know, make a mess. Get in there and get your hands dirty and get stupid and silly and write things that are ridiculous and bad and nobody will ever see, you know, but you're having, you get to have fun with it because it can get really um, serious. We can get very adult about it. Right. Sounds like and a lot of Karen fun. That sounds like nerd fun. That <laughs> <laughs> sounds like nerd fun. Right thing? Do you like exactly silly right. looking? Yeah. <laughs> Well, now if you want like that validation, like you said, you know, you were writing, but you know, not everybody knew you as a writer. And then if you don't write, you're like, can I actually call myself a writer? But you can get that validation online now, right? Like I'm sure you were writing um, maybe before you could post it in a meaningful way and get people's feedback. But, you know, you can post stuff and have it have strangers interact with it in a way that's like actually really mind blowing. Not even people, you know, you know, if you want to write something and not even present it because sometimes it's easier with strangers right and that can fuel you yeah that's interesting that's something that's something to do that for me that would have been really hard because of hillary right you're not anonymous <laughs> right <laughs> well it, you mentioned earlier about the crowdsourcing and the crowdfunding it, for people who want to i guess they could go to your to sweetblackberry.com or how, how do if they want to follow or learn more about your projects yeah. how do they they can go to sweetblackberry.org and we are we definitely have donate buttons. I'll just look for those big fat donate buttons if you want to donate. But you can also, if you have other things, you can always you can um, you can reach me at kparsons at sweetblackberry.org. And we can, you know, there are other things that we other ways people can help sometimes and volunteer as a nonprofit. We um, we really need support from our the community. So however people can help us, that's great. Um, you can also visit our we're on social media, we're on Instagram. We're on Twitter, Sweet Blackberry. You know, I think it's like. And she responds, people. That's why she's on the show. So she responds. So I appreciate (laughs) that. Yeah. Well, I like what you guys are doing. I really do like what you're doing a lot. I meant that when I said that. So thank you. Um, I'm very happy to be here. And I'm glad you asked me. Thank you. Glad to have you. That's it for this week. I'm Matt Smith, one half of two black guys with good credit. And remember, nothing changes if nothing changes. And I'm out. And I am one third of two black guys with a credit. And I'd like to remind you that, as I always say, it's not what you do, it's what you do next. And I'm Sean, the better third now of two, of two black guys with good credit. And as I say every week, your money's your money, keep it in your damn pocket. And hey, if you want to send us a, a shout out, you want to email us, whatever good ideas you have, please don't forget to email us at tbgwgc at gmail.com. That is the acronym for two black guys with good credit at gmail.com. Looking forward to hearing you guys and I'm out. Peace.
Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.